trouble with what we computer scientists call context switches, or my therapist calls transitions, or the audience in a comedy club might call the bits in between jokes. So I've actually given up on it entirely. Um, it'll be obvious. <laughs> That's Naomi Safra, an AI researcher and software engineer who's also a comedian. Yes, I just do whatever work I find interesting, but you always have to ask yourself, who else finds this interesting? And if you mean who reads my papers and who cites my papers, then the answer is nobody. But, <laughs> but if you mean who has given me money, the answer is mostly evil. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. Really, a computer scientist is going to stand up on a stage complaining about funding? Don't you know there's kids starving in the philosophy department? <laughs> Problem. I have the same problem as anyone in this world. See, I hate capitalism, but I love money. <laughs> Transition. In previous episodes, we've heard about AI taking on Jeopardy, medicine, and autonomous vehicles. And now, for something entirely different, comedy. Can AI make us laugh? This is Humans versus Machines. I'm your host, Gary Marcus. In the past few months, everybody has been talking about chatbots, systems like GPT-4, BARD, and Lambda. Technically, these are called large language models, devices that use machine learning to generate text that sounds eerily like human beings. They're everywhere. Students use them to write term papers. Programmers are using them to help write code. But regurgitating a term paper about Daisy Buchanan and Jay Gatsby is one thing. Being funny is another. I don't want that future. <laughs> Maybe someone can fix that future, like someone in the philosophy department, like in exchange for food. <laughs> Turns out that was the first set Dr. Safra ever wrote. And it was a good one. And I wrote it because this comedy club in Edinburgh called The Stand does um, an occasional night where they just convince a bunch of academics to do stand-up about their particular field. And so people will go up and make like uh, uh, really bad puns that, that nobody is going to get except for people in their field sometimes. Um, and so that was how I originally wrote that set. So that delivery that we have, that video is like your first joke on stage? Yeah, that was literally like the first time I'd told jokes on stage, like wow. ever. Yeah. So I was struggling a little bit with like moving from one joke to the next. Um, I Because, you know, you start out just you have like a list of potentially funny jokes. And then you actually have to turn that into a set that flows well. And uh, at some point, I came up with the idea of giving up. I point out the fact that I have not worked on developing transitions between jokes, and I just shout transition every time I finish a joke. Okay, so as someone who knows a lot about how computers and brains work and is now thinking about how comedy works, are there specific ingredients to a joke? So every joke starts out pretty much with your setup, and then there's a punchline. And if the punchline is funny, then the joke is funny. Um, a lot of it is about the connection between um, surprise and comedy. Like a punchline might 
uh, be really surprising because you have been making a particular assumption the whole time, and all of a sudden it reframes the whole thing. There's like the Groucho Marx joke that's like, One morning I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I don't know. You can't be too surprising. There's like a, a very particular, you know, funny level of surprise, right? Like you can't say, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. Monkeys fly from the sky. So here's a question. Could a stand-up comedian use a system like ChatGPT to write a set? So I've been working on a set that's just about like my relationship that I'm in, which is a whole, you know, it's 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 definitely like a, a cliche sort of thing to work on a set about, right? Um, but it, it it's uh, there's a really significant cultural difference between me and my girlfriend. I'm from New York, and she was raised in Kentucky, and I was raised Jewish, and she was raised Mormon. So why don't you read your setup, and I will uh, play the role of GPT for a second, and, and we'll explain what you got. So um, I'm a woman raised Jewish in New York. My girlfriend was raised Mormon in Kentucky. Write me some jokes about that. I'm sorry, but it would not be appropriate for me to generate jokes that make fun of or stereotype any particular group of people. It's important to treat all individuals with respect and kindness, regardless of their backgrounds or beliefs. If you are looking for jokes about relationships, I'm happy to come up with some that are appropriate and respectful. Definitely not funny, I think it's fair to say. I mean, I think there's context in which that could be kind of funny. Yeah, that's right. If it was a set of jokes about how uptight ChatGPT is that it can't tell a joke, then it might actually work. Exactly. I think one of the one of the things that makes chat very, very difficult to uh, use as a comedy partner is its aversion to every existing taboo. Um, and so much of comedy is a social experience that is based on violating taboos and sort of inviting people into a taboo violation. All right, then you pushed further, and I'm curious what your your take is. Maybe you can just read both parts here. Yeah, could you write some appropriate, respectful jokes about the fact that I'm a New York Jew in a lesbian relationship with a Kentucky Mormon? Sure, here are a few examples. Why did the New Yorker bring a map to Kentucky? Because she heard it was the land of more mons and more cows than people. You you did a good job delivering what's not inherently, I would say, the funniest joke that's ever been written. I'm doing my best here, yeah. Um, we need like a studio audience here to do the opposite of laugh or something like that to get yeah. across that it's not. Yeah, what is the opposite of a laugh track? A groan track? Get I don't off know. the stage! Yeah, just like automatic hecklers. Okay, here's one that I don't actually understand. Why did the New Yorker bring matzah to Kentucky? to show her partner that they don't have a monopoly on strange cracker-like foods. I mean, like, okay, I get it. Like, showing that we've got our own crackers too, I'm Jewish. Like, I get that, but it's, 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 not, really, it's not really a joke. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting because a lot of people are at least thinking about using Chad as a writing partner, maybe for boring things like a letter of recommendation. So there, there's a notion of kind of like human machine interaction. And I think part of what you were exploring, maybe at my request, or maybe uh, you were already doing it is like, can I use this thing as a writing partner? So w what's your take on that? The problem is that comedy comes from surprise and language models do not have this 
natural ability to make things surprising. Um, They want to be as unsurprising as possible. That is what they are trained to do. There's something really interesting here about what Dr. Safra is saying. Language models are all about prediction. They're trained on billions of examples of existing texts so that they can guess what word is most likely to follow another. But humor doesn't work that way. A lot of humor is about surprise, about what you don't expect. Hey, is this thing on? (laughs) Nice to see you, Bob. Long time no see. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think uh, last time I saw you, you were, I was at your birthday party. You were a relatively young man at that time. It's true. It was before people kept asking me my opinion about ChatGPT. That's Bob Mankoff. For many years, he was the cartoon editor at The New Yorker and also the inventor of the incredibly popular Caption Contest, where readers suggest captions for New Yorker cartoons. He's also an AI aficionado, and he's been thinking for years about the relationship between humor and AI. Lately, He's been using large language models to create captions and to catalog cartoons for his own company. I created the caption contest actually way back in 1998. And at that point, it was once a year. And then for a long time, in terms of the judging of the caption contest, I subjected my assistants to looking through five and 10,000 captions. In fact, it was a sort of impossible task. You have 5,000, 10,000 captions. You don't have five, 10,000 different captions. That's interesting in itself that they overlap some. First of all, you see, it tells you something about creativity. It's likely that whatever idea you have, someone else will have a similar idea. Mm-hmm. My particular theory is that humor is a social and emotional phenomenon for human beings. So it brings together lots of things and, and conflates them. And at the moment, we say, it's funny. So if I was to say something like, okay, here's the cartoon that put my daughter through Barnard, because it got reprinted so many times. So it's a guy on the telephone looking at his uh, address book, and he's saying, no, Thursday's out. How about never? Is never good for you? And I think about that one all the time. (laughs) When you look at it from like almost a theoretical standpoint, you're saying, You have a message which has sort of the syntax of politeness, and yet the message itself is rude. You know, one other theory of humor is benign violation, which is that for something to be funny, you have to feel that it's somehow okay and wrong at the same time. So a lot of, not even humor, jokes work that way. So how about never seems to fit that one too, right? right? It's benign. I'm just trying to set a time for us to get together and, and, and not so benign when I'm telling you how about never. So could a machine write the how about never joke? Uh, no. I mean, <laughs> we can generate a lot of stuff. And out of that, you, you usually will get wordplay. I asked Bob for some examples of captions that GPT-3 had generated for his cartoons. So there's one which shows a doctor and the patient is standing next to him. And we see an outline of a body around the outline. The patient is standing next to a circus thing where you throw knives. Okay. The AI caption is something like, you may feel a sharp sensation or this may hurt a little. Once I put in everything about knives and stuff, those are the kinds of captions. That essentially wordplay. It won't do anything, I don't think, but wordplay. So it, it never ascends to what you call deeper humor. It does a fairly good job at the wordplay, but never rises. Right. It will do better than a lot of people in the caption contest with wordplay, but only once again by generating 
it can generate a lot. Let's say one out of 10 is successful. So, so tell me what you mean a little bit more about deep humor. Let's say it's a wife who is saying to the husband, she's holding the manuscript the husband has written, and she's saying, I'm not saying this just because you're my husband, it stinks. <laughs> okay, we, we have to really understand <laughs> relationships and everything and how, and how marriage is love and hate and dislike and tension. The ability to understand what makes people tick, to understand their motivations, is what psychologists call theory of mind. And AI systems don't have theory of mind, at least not yet, which puts limits on what such systems can do. I think for deep humor, uh, that's definitely the case because I've done all sorts of cartoons. So you can do a cartoon in which I have two politicians say, but how do you know if you really have power unless you abuse it? <laughs> that is deeper. It's actually the cartoons that I like most. I have wondered the extent to which theory of mind or intuitive psychology is at the root of most humor and whether that might be kind of the key stumbling block in getting AI to go further. I think that there is no mind there to have another theory of mind about. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's sort, it's sort of that simple. There is no actual mind there that has the equivalent of emotions, of feelings, actual feelings. The relationship between humor and theory of mind is something Bob Mankoff has studied formally in academic studies, most recently with AI researcher Yejin Choi. I'm Yejin Choi. I am a professor at the Paul G. Allen School of University of Washington and also research director at the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. And she's way too shy to say that she just won a MacArthur Fellowship, but I'll throw that in there myself. That's not a job title. Gary. It's nonetheless, it's a, it's a uh, credential. I, I actually knew Bob Mankoff, I think, before you did. Can you tell us, like, how did you come to write a paper with Bob and on humor? And, like, how did you get into that piece of it? Okay, so I happen to know someone who knows Bob Mankoff, uh, who wanted to work on some sort of AI systems that can better understand his uh, New Yorker cartoons. I mean, if you understand humor, you can generally explain. So part of the deal that I wanted to have is making AI that can explain the joke. One way the team tried to test their proposition was to describe a cartoon, including the caption, to GPT-3. They then asked the machine to explain the joke, and then they compared the machine explanations with human explanations. I see a picture of, let's see, about seven or eight people sitting in a corporate boardroom, um, and they're, they're all sitting in the chairs like you'd expect at a board meeting. And in front of them, each one of them is a giant cup of, I guess, coffee. Um, like imagine each cup of coffee is basically the size of a large child or something like that. Not an adult, but very big cups of coffee. And the caption is, can you please pass the cow? You want to walk us through that example? Yeah, so there's no cow in the picture. Yet the caption says, can you pass the cow? 
So why suddenly a cow? And so you had some different explanations that people gave and that machines gave. So the machine would have to explain the cartoon, a person would have to explain the cartoon. Here's what the human says. When drinking coffee or tea, people often add cream and may ask others to pass it if it's on the other side of the table. But here the mugs are huge. So instead of asking for a small cup of cream, they're asking for the entire cow, which is the appropriately sized cream dispenser for these huge drinks. So that's what a human said. Tell me what GPT-3 said. GPT-3 says, a joke about big cups of coffee. Pass the milk is a request that people make before drinking a cup of coffee to add cream milk to, uh, for example, to reduce its bitterness. But here, the cups are so big, they require a cow, which is probably not lactose-free. <laughs> which is kind of funny, but not the explanation. I mean, it's unintentionally funny, right? The lactose-free thing has nothing to do um, with, with the, the passing of the cow. It's nothing to do, do with the cartoon. So that's kind of an anecdotal example that gives a flavor of it. What, what did you find overall? Then the vast majority of the time, humans prefer human explanation over machine explanation. So joke explanation is really hard. So the machines shouldn't quit their day job, in other words. <laughs> That's right. Right. So much of humor is I set up expectation A and then I head off in a d- different direction towards expectation B. And you can only know what that expectation is relative to someone else's theory of mind or your theory of mind, your guess about what they think is ordinary in the world. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, you know, usually coffee mugs are not this large. And then usually we don't ask for the cow when we want milk. So uh, that common sense understanding about what's normal uh, is part of why this cartoon is funny. Are we going to get to systems that can write pretty good jokes before we solve the common sense problem? Do we have to solve the common sense problem before systems are really going to be able to do humor? What's the relation here? I I believe the AI systems can already write some jokes that are sometimes very funny uh, to some people. I mean, by the way, humor is a very personal thing and uh, some very repetitive jokes can be very funny for some people out there. So it's not like it's uh, completely impossible. But right now, uh, AI models are better at generation than understanding. But this is interesting that humans are not that way. We can understand better than how much we can generate. So I may be able to understand the Pulitzer Prize winning, you know, articles while not being able to generate that, uh, whereas machines might appear to generate a lot, uh, but actually not really understanding uh, the details or the true reasoning behind what it actually wrote. So... Given that, uh, joke uh, generation probably is an easier task for AI than actually understanding and really explaining why something is funny. I have a title for the memoir for the first uh, successful AI system. It's going to be called, You Had to Be There. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because, of course, they weren't anywhere, and so there's no grounding. (laughs) Sounds good. Sounds good to you. All right. Uh, I'm going to work on my delivery of that one. We'll we'll work on my one-liners. AI is the fastest moving field I've ever seen. When we first talked to Bob Mankoff, he was using ChatGPT, which was released in November 2022. 
While we were in production, GPT-4 came out. I was curious whether GPT-4 was any better. So I asked Bob to enter some new cartoons into GPT-4 to see what kind of captions it would come up with. So I just did this with Bing. I said, there's a man trapped in quicksand and there was a woman in a trapeze above him reaching out to him and saying something to him. So she says, uh, uh, hang in there. No, literally hang in there. Don't worry, I'll save you. Just let me finish this swing. So then I say, oh, let's work with swing. One of the versions that comes with uh, the woman who's hanging down saying, uh, 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 come on, it's sink or swing. So I end up with sink or swing instead of sink or swim. That's sort of the kinds of captions that work for the caption contest. Let me pause you there. So like how many captions do you go through before you get that one? How much of you know your talent in knowing what you're looking for? Like what's that process like? Maybe two or three and, and sometimes more, but both ChatGPT4 and uh, Bing are more advanced in the ability to quickly generate things that often give you something to work with or really almost all outright. So in another caption contest, you saw mice in a maze, they're all looking at paintings. And the mice are either in something that looks like a maze with paintings or a maze that looks like it's a museum. From that, the model is going to generate stuff, and one of them is stuff about gift shop. And from that will come a caption like, uh, uh, the, the tough part is to get them to buy something at the gift shop. And so that will be the kind of caption that will be generated. Another interesting thing, though, that it does, Bing does, is that if I forget to put in the description, it will often go and just create an unusual description of an image and the caption that often works. This one uh, was a picture of a man in a spacesuit holding a flag on the moon. He's looking at the Earth, which is covered with a giant QR code. The caption reads, scan to learn more. So all of these are, they're working within this framework. And what I see it as is something that has a lot of potential. So do you think it's funny now? Or do you think it's a tool you can use to help you make funny stuff? Like Both. both. It's certainly a tool. It will give you ideas that you wouldn't have. I think what's missing now, it really cannot distinguish which one of these things work better in terms of humor. But I don't think that's beyond the capabilities of this model with human reinforcement learning. So GPT-4 was definitely getting better at generating captions. I wondered how it ranked now against humans in the caption contest. Well, I mean, humans are still winning. Uh, You know, I think this one uh, that was completely AI generated, it's a caveman on the subway and he's got a, uh, you know, a club and he's talking to a businessman on the subway and he says, it's not just a club, it's a lifestyle. Well, that finished 70th in the entire contest out of like 5,000 captions. And that's completely AI generated. Not that I think it's all that great, but it's just perfectly fine. It's what a caption contest is. So uh, would it be fair to say that like the the GPT-4 is beating many, many humans. Like it's better than a lot of the submissions you're getting, but it's not as good as the top ones. Is that right? Yeah, I, 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 w- I, would, I, would, I would say that's definitely true. So when we talked last time, you were 
convinced that it could do wordplay, but not convinced that it could do deep humor. Have you changed your mind about that? So one of the useful ways I see this model is that it's actually pretty hard for people to create humor, just as normal people. But we're really good at judging it. We can say, this is funny, this isn't funny. And you say, oh, I like this better than that. I can work with that. I think it gives people a leg up to create humor because they can judge it. And, and that still is their huge, huge, very quick, much better advantage than the models have. You know, we're people, we can understand. We say, this is funny, this isn't funny. How, how do you see uh, the long game for GPT-4 and maybe for the future as well? I think in the end, it'll be people working with these systems who have talent to produce the highest uh, Results. Just like, hey, once you got video cameras, everyone didn't become a movie maker that people wanted to see. If I were going to make a prediction that I don't have really any confidence that I would say, you're going to start to actually value the rough edges of humanity. A bit of wordplay is one thing. Capturing the rough edges of humanity is another. AI still can't tell what's funny or touching or beautiful. That's what humans are for. I think humans even including computer scientists working in AI, really don't know human intelligence all that well. Like, you know, the depth and the breadth of human intelligence. But we do know how AI in the past really didn't work very well. And whenever we see a big jump or um, some new interesting capabilities, we might feel like the gap must be very, very small. But my speculation is that that gap might be surprisingly large. In coming episodes, we'll be talking more about the future of AI. How are we going to interact with chatbots? Is AI going to take away our jobs? What will AI do to our society? And what should we do about it? How should we govern it? We'll be back later this summer after a short break. Humans versus Machines is brought to you by Aventine, a nonprofit research institute creating and sharing work that explores how today's decisions could affect the future. The views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of Aventine, its employees, or affiliates. For a transcript of the episode and more resources related to what you've heard in today's episode, please visit aventine.org podcast. Danielle Mattoon is the editorial director of Aventine. Humans versus Machines was created by Aventine and Gary Marcus, and written by Gary Marcus and Bruce Headlam. It is produced in partnership with Pineapple Street Studios. Our associate producers are Lisa Cerda and Emerald O'Brien. Our lead producer is Alexis Moore, with production assistance from Stephen Key and Eric Menel. Our managing producer is Camila Kashani. Pat St. Clair and Joel Lovell are our editors. Our engineers are Davey Sumner and Jason Richards. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers. And fact-checking by Will Tavlin. Original music by Benton Rourke, with additional music from Epidemic Sound and Blue Dot Sessions. Our executive producers are J.N. Barry and Max Linsky. And thanks, as ever, to Athena. I'm your host, Gary Marcus. You can follow me on Twitter at Gary Marcus and Substack at GaryMarcus.Substack.com. You can find Aventine at Aventine.org and at Aventine underscore INST on Instagram and Twitter. Make sure to listen to us on the Odyssey app 
or wherever you get your podcasts.